It is the 200 level episode 88, Mike Carpenter from the basement with a very special guest forthcoming, Steve Breitweiser, co-host emeritus of the 200 level. And the first time that we had talked since, I had to go back and look this up, August 26th, 2019. And this is before the football season started. And we had a wide-ranging discussion and what was then the relaunch of the 200 level called a most consequential year, focusing on football, on basketball, the expectations for both programs, what needed to happen for either of them or both of them in this case to have a successful season. And they did, right? They hit those benchmarks. You made the bowl game and you would have made the NCAA tournament, though I think the way that Steve and I feel about both programs is the way that a lot of Illini fans feel about them. There's a lot more excitement, obviously, with Illini basketball, even with the news that came out yesterday about Chondi Brown going to Michigan instead of Illinois. That's a bummer. But, you know, when you got Adam Miller and Andre Corbello in the fold and you're waiting news on Io and Kofi, you feel okay about things. You feel like the trajectory is where it needs to be. With Illinois football, that's much of the conversation that Steve and I have. And it's weird because I'm not the biggest Illini football fan in the world. If you asked me, well, what sports teams are you most into? It would be in order, Illinois basketball and then Yankees baseball. And it's interchangeable depending on what month it is, how good either team is. And that might make me sound like a bit of a front runner, to be honest. But the difference with those two is that with Illinois basketball, I get to share in that excitement with the rest of the community and with the podcast listeners. The Yankees is almost like the secret club. When you live in central Illinois, you don't have this sort of proximity to what's going on with the Yankees. I'm not a New Yorker by any stretch. So it's distant and it feels like, all right, that's my family. That's our thing. Illinois basketball, far more wide-reaching than that. Illinois football, for whatever reason, though, as frustrated as I get with it, maybe I like it more than I let on, or maybe I want it to be successful more than I would even care to admit. So Steve and I have a really wide-ranging conversation about it, and what we try to do, and I got to give him credit more than myself with this, is trying to find the positives with what Lovey has done here, which is essentially turn this into a transfer-based program and still express our concern long-term with whether or not this is sustainable. So we get into that plenty. Before we get into that interview and a couple other things that we needed to talk about today, I want to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. Custom zones where you can get any topping that you want inside of it, or you can get one of their favorites like a buffer zone, a Maui Wowie. And here's the best thing of all during the stay at home order they deliver anywhere in Champaign Urbana. So go online to dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdo.com. Also, Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code the 200 level or 200 level. Either one works. 10% off your order. And here's something they have 365 days a year you buy two t shirts, you get one free. Fourthandkirby.com. That's fourthandkirby.com. Finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Any sort of insurance that you're looking for. So life, auto, home, business, renters. Not only are they insurance experts, but they're all local products. So they have your local interest at heart. Great guy. I've known Brian for a few years now. And you want to be able to trust your insurance agent. And with Brian and his staff, trust is not an issue. So go online to brianismyguy.com. That's brianismyguy.com. Of course, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners in the relaunch of the 200 level. And I don't know, I keep saying relaunch, but really we are more than 50 episodes in to this relaunch. We've been doing plenty of these from the basement, this new basement setup where it actually feels legit. And I got furniture as opposed to patio furniture. I actually have something that resembles a studio down here. So this is much more cozy and conducive 
to talking into a microphone, which I did with Steve for quite a while. Go figure. We went longer than the allotted time or the scheduled time for it. And we actually spoke on Sunday. It's enough of a macro conversation where nothing really happened, apart from one mention of Chandi Brown, which, of course, that is unfortunate, but we'll get over it and see what else pops up in the transfer market. Isn't that nice? You see, I turned over a new leaf. I don't freak out about individual recruits because I think they got it rolling over there with basketball. But before I spoke to Steve on Sunday, I had reached out to him last week, and I did some reflecting on the 200 level, and really before that, how Steve and I got started as a radio pair. And this was back in 2013. College Game Day Live. And we were trying to find an answer or an alternative, I should say, to the traditional sports line on WDWS and whatever pregame show that they had. And they've been doing their thing for a while. We knew that we could put some sort of alternative program up there, not have to do anything but be ourselves. And we would very quickly find our niche as that alternative. What we ended up doing, and this was Stevie's idea initially to reach out to Steve Brightweiser. So credit to him for remembering Steve on TV because I did not. I did not watch, I think it was WAND that Steve was on, and maybe that would have been right after Lante was on WAND as well. I was always, if I did watch local news, Channel 3. So I guess we're talking what Mike Clef, Chris Woodlick before that. So, anyways, Steve and I meet at Legends, and this would have been late July, early August 2013 for just you know, have a couple drinks, talk about what we might want to do with the show. We knew that this would be a two and a half hour show. So it would be 8 a.m. to 1030, regardless of kickoff time. And we thought that there are enough early risers that would tune in regardless of game time. And let's be real, Illinois tends to get the 11 a.m. kickoffs, especially during the Beckman era, because we just weren't really interesting. So we meet at Legends, couple drinks, talk over things, and very quickly I'm struck by Steve's sense of humor, which, you know, it's the kind of dry wit that you could tell a joke that Steve told, word for word, and yet it would not land the same way it does when he tells it. So the thoughts are original. That goes without saying. But it is the delivery that really puts it over the edge. And there's no one I've ever met before or no one I've ever even listened to on the radio, for that matter, that has that unique brand of humor that he does and that unique delivery. So very quickly that night, it was probably a two-hour meeting. And it kind of set the tone for the fact that when we would talk, we would go for extended conversations. And it made sense. It fit. And we were excited to get going with it, even though we weren't necessarily excited about the state of Illinois football. So we do College Game Day Live from 2013, 2014, and 2015. I'm trying to think we did Lovey's first year. I think by that point, we switched to the 200 level, but we had a lot of fun times on College Game Day Live, even though the product itself wasn't all that great. I can tell you the peak of it in terms of success for Illinois football, was probably 2013 when they beat Cincinnati. And it was a really hot Saturday, and we actually had met, and I posted a picture of this on Twitter. We interviewed Mike Thomas that morning because Mike Thomas had the Cincinnati connection. He was making all the media rounds, which he did quite a bit. You know, to his credit, he might have done it too much, but he made the media rounds. And we had a conversation with him that was very cordial and... You know, things were hope sprung eternal, I should say. It was early enough in the season where, what the heck? And sure enough, Illinois came out. They smoked Cincinnati, which shocked all of us, I think. And for an afternoon, it felt like, well, maybe this Beckman guy might actually know what's going on. We get into 2014, and I remember that as a sort of death march for (laughs) Illinois football. Because if you recall, there was a mid to late October game against Purdue, a bad Purdue team that Illinois lost. And I think at that point, we all assumed, well, this is it. It's over. 
And this, I believe was on the heels of the Minnesota homecoming game. I forget which one came first, but regardless, the Purdue game felt like the death knell. This thing was over. A few weeks later, they play Penn State at home. And Steve and I go on the air, and it is essentially a two and a half hour obituary for the Tim Beckman era at Illinois. Little did we know, as I walked in the stadium after halftime that day, watched first half at home, walked in the second half with about 12,000 other Illini fans to watch this upset of Penn State at home, 16 to 14. And see the bull hopes stayed alive. And then we saw what happened next week. All of a sudden, it looks like Beckman's going to stay for a while. 2015, we are doing College Game Day Live during the Cubit year. And that was an interesting season that started off very well. And we were excited about it. And then again, sort of a death march by the end of it. So Steve and I had talked about, well, what can we do going forward? Because as much as we enjoyed College Game Day Live, it is difficult to want to commit an entire Saturday morning. And for me, it would usually be wake up at like five on Saturday morning, make sure the prep was done. Yes, I used to actually prep for shows. I would either have the station van at my house or have to go back and get the station van. You get to the location at about you know 6.45, start setting things up. And a lot of those were cool, chilly mornings. And as you get into November, it's just not a lot of fun. So Steve and I had talked about, well, what would be an alternative? What would be something we could do to scratch that itch? and continue the kind of broadcasting that we're doing on that Saturday morning show. And we came up with the 200 level. Pretty sure the name was his, and it has stuck ever since. We did 36 shows on 93.5 that would have ranged, I believe, from Levy Smith's first season that fall through the end of the John Gross era, which that would have been, what, March 2017. And we only did it during football and basketball season, so we didn't do it during the summer months or anything like that. And we had a lot of fun doing it. It was essentially a podcast on the air. And we would do it Mondays from 6 to 7. And the first segment would typically go 35 minutes before we took our first break. Alex Wallner was our intern, and he would usually come in with like, wow, you guys want 38 minutes there. And it's like, holy crap, I guess we did. And it was organic. We weren't trying to go long with segments, but having become an avid listener of podcasts and realizing that from the very first conversation that Steve and I had at Legends, Back in 2013, we could take these topics and stretch them out. And it would work on a Monday at 6 o'clock. For the people that want to listen live, they'll listen live. But we also saw that most of the traffic, it looked like, was coming through podcasting, which we'd put through the TNJ feed, and then we'd get a pretty good return. So I think that that format was important for me as a broadcaster to realize that, well, this could work. And I wasn't thinking back then, well, I'll be doing a podcast of my own one day. I hope to be at 93.5 for a long time. And obviously those plans changed. But because of that experience doing the 200 level of Steve, it became clear to me that a podcast thing could work. And it didn't take long after finding out that 93.5 was going to come to an end that I decided, well, okay, I need to do something. And it only makes sense to revive the 200 level. So that's the history of the 200 level. And I guess the majority of the shows now have been myself and either Harry and Trevor, some mix of that, and Isaac Ambrose. And then now we're getting the rotating guest in during this quarantine situation. But it's still, to me, like talking to an old friend. When you get Brightweiser on the Zoom call or here in the studio, it's like we never stopped doing the show in the first place. It was great to see him. Uh, We did a Zoom meeting, so I was able to see him. He's in his basement. I'm in my basement studio. And it was a conversation that would have been no different than if we'd been in the 93.5 studio or here in my basement studio like we did back in August. So you will 
find those signature bits of Breitweiser humor. I think at one point he said the seduction of the transfer portal in a way that only he can, that that was the first time I thought, all right, I'm talking to Steve Breitweiser. I got to be ready for these nuggets as they come. There's one particular little nugget that he has about how it seems every year there's one guy that leaves Brad Underwood's program, even though they just had a really great year under Underwood. So he mentions Leron Black, Alan Griffin, and he does so in a way that gets me laughing out loud. So Steve coming up here in just a bit. A couple bit of news stories for Illini Sports, beginning with basketball and not getting Chandy Brown, which seemed like a shoe-in. And things change. Michigan swoops in. Don't be surprised if Juwan Howard does that with other guys. I would much prefer to keep Adam Miller and give up Chandy Brown. I know that's not necessarily the choice we had, but it did seem like Michigan was the number two spot for Adam Miller. So you avoid that. They get Chandy Brown. And we will wait and see if Chandy Brown does, in fact, get eligibility for next year or if he would have to sit out a year. That, in part, is going to be based on what the NCAA decides with this transfer rule. Even though his coach left, I think there's some gray areas and uncertainty as to whether or not he would play this upcoming year. And if that is the case, if he would have to sit out a year for Illinois, I don't know if it's worth it. You want a true grad transfer situation here. And Illinois will look for other grad transfers at the wing position. Some kid from Utah, it looks like they're already efforting. And they'll land somebody. I don't know about as good or as proven a commodity as Chandy Brown. But again, I, I keep reverting back to this trust in the staff to identify someone that can help out and fill that spot. And this is the primary difference between basketball and football, like Steve and I will talk about here, where with Brad Underwood, you do get the transfer kids, sometimes a grad transfer, sometimes like Hutcherson and Grandison, you get guys that need to sit out a year but have two years of eligibility. He supplements his recruiting with transfers, but it is based on four-year high school players, or I guess in the case of Io and maybe Adam Miller, two, three-year guys. Same with Kofi. So you have the high school, you have the transfer, you put them together, and you have a really unique way to build rosters that is very pertinent to the way college basketball is right now. This is just the way that you do it if you want to be successful. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Meanwhile, with Illinois football, the transfer thing, it's going well. I mean, on the transfer side, they are getting immediate impact guys that can help this roster right now. So credit to Lovey Smith. I need to start with that. It is a Band-Aid at a minimum. You're bringing in guys that have played at a Power 5 level that can help your team out next year on a team that has the ability to go to a bowl game for the second year in a row. I don't think it's a guarantee like others do. I'm still not convinced of the actual in-game coaching ability of this team or the defense specifically if they can't get turnovers. But if we're talking specifically about Lovey's ability to bring in transfers that can help right away, yes, he's doing that and he's doing that pretty well. But man, wouldn't it feel much better if that was supplemental to his high school recruiting? And I don't know why both can't exist, why both things can't be true. And it seems as if whatever the MO was for Levy and the staff early on, it seems to be constantly evolving. And we could say that the transfer thing is going to be their niche. It's what they're going to kind of hang their hat on. Maybe it is. And maybe they do that exceedingly well and find some unique situation here at Illinois that works in the long term. How long that would be, I don't know. Certainly it won't hurt this year's roster with the guys they brought in. But why can't we have our cake and eat it too, right? Why can't we have the transfer guys, the high school guys, you mix them together, you got a healthy program and a unique way of doing it. Roster building that addresses both immediate needs and long-term concerns. I would love to see that. I don't think we're going to with Lovey. It seems like this is what it's going to be. And as Steve and I get into, maybe there's a bit of a riding on the wall situation here 
where he recognizes that this is the do or die kind of season for him at Illinois. He needs to win big, I guess you could say. What that looks like, eight and four, I'd be over the moon with that. Even with the long-term concerns, I think, well, you know, they're doing something right here. But short of that, seven and five, we'd be happy with certainly six and six. Okay, we're kind of treading water. Five and seven, which I think is a distinct possibility. Again, given a defense that if they aren't getting the takeaways, still has major holes in it and a defensive line that is not proven. All those concerns Steve and I get into. And it will be interesting to see, first off, if there is a college football season, and we kind of broach that briefly, who knows what that even looks like. But if there is, and if it is the same schedule that we have in front of us, the ceiling for this team, I guess you could say would be eight wins, but let's just say between five and seven wins. For 2020, I'll take it. But for 2021 and 2022, how much is the bottom going to drop here? Unless they just become the best transfer recruiting football program since... I know Bill Snyder is a name that's been thrown out before, transfer guru, helped build his Kansas State program. But until Levy is doing what Bill Snyder did year in, year out, it's kind of difficult to make that comparison without thinking, well, hold on a second. Let's not jump the gun here and crown Levy Smith. Because there are systemic issues that have been in this program since the minute he got here. There is a sense of malaise that is troubling for a program in year five under this guy. Despite the new facility, despite making a bowl game, there's this general sense of apathy that should not be permeating this fan base, given the fact that they made a bowl game last year. That tells you about some of the other circumstances around this program, namely high school recruiting. And also the manner in which last season ended, that brings that concern of the four-game win streak being an aberration. Now, the football program did do something pretty cool today. I got to give them credit for this. A very forward-thinking, progressive hire with Ashton Washington. And she, that's correct, she, is going to be the director of high school relations. So in terms of the pedigree that she has, she worked for the XFL, I think the Houston Redneck. Rednecks, Roughnecks, see Freudian slip there, sorry. She worked for the XFL's Houston Roughnecks last season, and this looks to be a hire that just optics alone makes a lot of sense. So kudos to Levy for being forward-thinking and having a diverse staff. And we can address the diversity thing real quick, and I know Lon and I did back on 93.5. Well, Lon, Jeremy, and I, when it was still Tay and Jay, when this all happened, that, you know, it's Levy Smith, the pedigree is there. We knew that he was an established name and brand, and that no one would look at that hire and say, well, you're just trying to check the diversity box. But you are still checking that diversity box that for Illinois Revenue Sports had never been checked before. So with this, kudos to Levy for, again, a forward-thinking hire that may pay off. And certainly in terms of optics, only helps. It only helps the program. So kudos to him for that. I don't know what necessarily that will do for high school recruiting in the short term. And I need to give... (laughs) Steve on Twitter credit because I just retweeted the Illinois football thing about, hey, we got Ashton Washington in here as our director of high school recruiting. I didn't really have a comment on it because I think it speaks for itself, right? Steve, who on Twitter is at Illini Toffee, wrote, Illinois football director of high school relations has to be a bit like McDonald's vice president of the salad division, which I thought was all too on the nose when you consider the lack of high school recruiting success for Lovey. And this is not just a this year problem. This goes back really since his second class. High school recruiting has not been where it needs to be, and it's gotten measurably worse each year. 
So that's the good news, bad news situation. Again, good news, you got Ashton Washington, and that is something that will probably reverberate around college football news sites for the next couple of days. It gives you some positive press. And in terms of her ability to do the job, why not? I, I think that that is the kind of unique hire that isn't going to hurt for sure and might, in fact, pay dividends. I hope it does because all this that I say about my cynicism and concern about Lovey Smith being sustainable here at Illinois, all of that considered, you make a coaching change, you are still probably setting the clock back a bit and going through yet another rebuild. I guess there's still a chance that they win seven, eight games this year and he figures it out. I'm not banking on it. But the easiest way to sustain success here at Illinois would be for this team to go seven or eight wins, pick up recruiting a little bit and mix that grad transfer market with high school recruiting success. That's the easiest way to get there. So if you were to ask me, are you rooting for Illinois football this year? Of course. And in fact, I'm rooting for them to either do one of two things. And I've done this before, but I think it bears repeating. I'm rooting for them to go eight and four or a solid seven and five and figure things out. Or I'm rooting for them to go five and seven and we just cut losses and move on. It is the middle ground, which is sort of how last year ended. You made the bowl game and we all agree that was the goal. So I, I'm still saying, Overall, it was a successful season, but when you end up six and seven, not even a winning season, not even a winning Big Ten season, even though it was right there for you, it felt like the air came out of the balloon. We are what we are. Maybe that four game thing was just that was the exception. So that's where the doubt creeps in. Ultimately, go eight and four this year. Figure it out. Okay, for everything I've said about Lovey Smith and for all the critiques that we've had on this show and back in 93.5. Get it done, you know, figure out a way. You're Lovey Smith, you're getting paid the money to do so, and I'm rooting for them, even if it doesn't always sound like it. I feel like that gets misconstrued sometimes, and I know Lon could vouch for me in this regard, and he's had to do so, I'm sure, with friends when he's having a beer with them. Hey, you know, Carp really, he does root for Illinois. Trust me, he does. I do, and it is all about finding that path to success for Illinois football that is more than just a one-year and done sort of thing. Because that's all I've seen in my life is the year of success followed by sometimes disaster, sometimes just disappointment. So we shall see. But this is why Steve Breitweiser is the perfect guest for an episode like this, or really for that matter. We could have Steve on at any time. And I know for sure that when we do the 100th episode, which is coming up quick, it'll be this summer, we'll have to get Steve on again. And maybe there'll be some more news in terms of football recruiting and the like. But without further ado, here is an extended conversation. It's always extended, of course, when we have our good friend Steve Breitweiser on the 200 Level Podcast. It has been, I want to say, 50 episodes since the last time our co-host, Emeritus. Is that how you say it, Steve? Emeritus? I'll take it. Co-host Emeritus Steve Breitweiser is back on the 200 level. And Steve, as we met, we called it a most consequential year back on August, I think it was August 26, the Sunday before the football season started. And it certainly was a most consequential year. And we could do a number of things here, but you and I always seem to talk most about football for some reason. Let's start with that. Especially now that we're grad transfer you and Lovey's, yeah, Lovey's got it rolling. Apparently, little little did we know how consequential it would be, you know, for all these reasons and where we're at presently. Did you know when we were sitting at two and four 
this is kind of a silly question because none of us knew, but uh, did you have any inkling at two and four after that Minnesota game? And I guess after the Michigan game, despite the comeback in the second half, that they were capable of a four game win streak like we saw in, in late October, early November. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what do you think, Carp? Well, I, I don't know if anyone was. At that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, you know, it, it's been something, certainly. What do you think about the sustainability of this program? Because I see two as, uh, I don't know if it was Mike Thomas. Yeah, it was Mike Thomas that said parallel tracks. So we have the short term. And I think that we would agree that this roster with this schedule, if they play, of course, that's the caveat, they can win enough to certainly go to their second bowl game in a row. But for me, it is that long-term sustainability. And I understand that Lovey's got the grad transfer thing rolling, and you can make comparisons, I guess, to Mike White in the 80s and the Juco kids, whatever, or Bill Snyder at Kansas State. But what's concerns me... Can we? Exactly. Can we we make Lovey Smith comparisons with one of the greatest college football coaches of all time? That's my concern. Yeah, that's my concern. I mean, with his current career record, I mean, is that an apt comparison? You know, and keep in mind that Bill Snyder had the Juco system set up in you know, Kansas there to, to target. And, and they certainly had all their challenges trying to just acquire talent out there. But I mean, come on, that's, that's going a little bit too far, I think. So, you so don't, I don't like when I hear that one, I, I just throw that one out summarily. And I guess the question or the follow-up to that would be, is I look at this method of recruiting that they've kind of fallen into. And we talked about this in August, that this wasn't the plan initially, they've seemed to be kind of making it up as they go along. So I, I find it too convenient to sit here and say in year five, oh, see, guys, this is this was the groundwork that they were laying from the beginning. Really, right. in actuality, it's them kind of adjusting on the fly, which I'll give them credit for that. But my problem and the difference between Lovey and Underwood, Underwood adjusted on the fly in terms of strategy, on the court things that made that team better. This is because of what I would call a failure in high school recruiting that has simply forced their hand. You're noting that it's kind of hypocritical of the fan base that were so in on initially the Lovey Smith tear down to the ground rebuild that all of a sudden, you know, four or five years later, what you're left with is grabbing, you know, at straws in the transfer portal and just throwing things out there because you have no more strategy in terms of trying to build recruiting classes year in and year out. And you've pretty much admitted as such saying that, you know, divorce is good for some you know, and looking and trying to go out. And I, I think there are three things with this that really stand out to me, Carp. Um, you know, to me, it's like, you know, overall, it, it's sort of like, you know, kind of like the sharper image catalog <laughs> for college football. It, it, it's devoid of sort of, you know, this idea of you have to, you know, if you're going to recruit high school level, right, you got to build relationships out in junior high. You got to stay on kids for multiple years. You got to win the family over. You got to build contingency plans. You got to build the personal relationships, and then in the last hour, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a verbal commitment from these gentlemen, you've got to fend off suitors. You've got to fend off disinformation and guys trying to flip them at the last minute, and come in and swoop. And you've got to constantly be selling your program. You got to worry about your on the field results and all that. In a transfer portal, is none of that. <laughs> you, know, you you can just buy you bypass all that and you just say I don't give a crap. Transfer portal is I can go to the website, I can scroll down a list of names for the positions I'm looking for, and I can just reach out and make contact with whoever's in this thing and start checking up on their background. And it's sort of like, I mean, it is kind of mail it in recruiting 
from the standpoint of you never know who's going to be in there from year to year. It's not like you have any grand plan of, you know, a year from now, I know in the transfer portal, X guy is going to be in there. Now, it can work like a Luke Ford where you had some pre-existings. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. We recruited this guy strongly yeah, sure. in high school, and now he's in the portal. Let's go get him because it didn't work out for me. That makes a lot of sense. But the, the thing that really stands out to me are, are this you know, a couple points. One is, let's be honest, Lovey Smith at this point is a short-timer in his Illini football coaching trajectory. I, I don't know how many more years you think he's honestly going to be around. Maybe you could throw a number out there, Carb. I don't know. But Two. I think this is predicated right. on he's got to win now. He doesn't have time to wait anymore. And his NFL staff that had zero you know, college connections coming in, uh, or at least, you know, that's probably not fair, but a little less than, you know, certainly what you would have from staffs that were already built up in the college game and could have transferred what they were doing over to Illinois. That didn't work. So this is, this is a, you know, a 180. So there's that. The, the, the second thing is it, it's easier than having to build relationships at high schools. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a de facto. I need offensive linemen. I don't have to develop him. I don't got to worry about, you know, is this guy a guard or is this guy a tackle? I don't got to worry about his offseason conditioning. You know, I'm going to go grab some guy who's already two, three years in, and maybe he can be serviceable. You know, and they've, they obviously, I like what they've got coming in. They've got a couple guys. they got one who projects out to a tackle, one that maybe is the guard, you know, plug and play. I mean, they've, they've hey, look, there's some, there's some good talent out there to be found. So, I mean, it's, that's certainly part of it. The third thing, though, is I think is the most – you know, the one that really jumps out to me. I think this in general, because you've had a limited amount of success, and I mean, I'm I'm grading on the curve here. I'm going to try real hard, Carp. I mean, success by the definition of Lovey Smith's first three years, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the success you've had. That's the bar. So I'm not, okay. this is not wild success. Let's not say that, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to hear about this is the most magical six and seven season I can ever remember because, you know, it is the most magical six and seven season everybody's ever seen. So just remember that. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is, I think, the seduction of this damn transfer portal. <laughs> the seduction. The seduction of the transfer portal. And, the, the, the you know, it is it is Tinder for college football coaches. Yeah, pretty much. It is, I don't need to go out and worry about recruiting. I don't go get to knock on doors. And it kind of works. So I'm just going to keep doubling down on it. And, you know, we'll see what we can do. So, you know, the first year I had five or six. You know, now I'm going to add eight or nine. You know, now we're going to have, you know, 13 to 15 on the, you know, on the roster in general. We might have, you know, 10, 11 of those on the two deep. You know, let's see how this goes. And uh, it does make me kind of chuckle a little bit when people say, well, you know, he's upgrading the talent. Well, from what? Who's the head coach of this program? It's his freaking talent. I mean, that's he was the one that stocked this talent. Right. So if he needs to go to the portal to upgrade all this talent all over on the line, um, you know, if he's got to get wide receivers because he didn't have any, you know, like he's got to go grab a couple more wide receivers. Well, whose fault is that? If he's always looking for a quarterback, you know, I mean, what happens when Peters leaves? Are we sure Williams is ready? I don't, you know, we haven't seen a quarterback that they've recruited be ready since he's been here, right? So I, I do think it's 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 kind of all wrapped into this idea of, you know, that is the way uh, that he just continues to roll with this. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, you look at this year, I think you can make the case that he probably has the most talent he's had since he's been here. Okay. Now it's taken five years and they've got a soft schedule again. Um, I've made the case to you before. I think I made it when I was on last time that I thought that he turned a bowl team two years ago into no bowl. He turned a team that should have won eight last year into a team that barely made a bowl. 
and almost didn't make a bowl. And this year, I mean, I think that you could, you know, he's, you look at this roster, it's seven or eight win team with the schedule that they got. I mean, they could start four and oh. So Steve, are you saying last year's team based on the talent should have been an eight and four team? Well, should they have lost to Eastern Michigan? I, this is where I, I get a little bit tripped up in terms you know, of, and then they pulled a couple, they pulled a couple out that maybe you think, well, they they did. think it was Wisconsin game to flip. But, I'm but thinking, I, I think I think they've underperformed basically against the schedule they've had over the last two years. I mean, they've had a soft schedule. I would There's no doubt about it. I would agree with that. And when it comes to last year, I think the biggest disappointment for me, and you know me, at the end of the day, fanboy carp is not some sort of tongue-in-cheek <laughs> mo- moniker. I mean, sometimes it is because I can be a cynic totally, but other times when things are going well and it feels like there's light at the end of the tunnel, I get ex- as excited as anybody. So four-game win streak happens. Let's say, you know, three quarters worth of action in Iowa City. It was not a, a pretty game, but you competed. And I wasn't ticked off about that. But it was really the Northwestern game, injuries aside, crappy weather, whatever. That was a, what, 2-9, and nine, I believe, Northwestern team. Maybe 1-10, one and ten, one or the other. And then the bull performance against Cal, which, again, I, I understand the injuries, but that gets more to my point. You can go out in the transfer portal. You can plug and play these certain guys in, in different positions. But in terms of sustainability and like most college football programs that are healthy, that can withstand injuries at a position here, a position there, it doesn't appear to me that the way this roster is being constructed, that you will be able to withstand the things that, let's say, a Minnesota is going to be able to withstand this year. Or for that matter, any other team in the Big Ten West with the only question marks I would probably put Scott Frost in Nebraska because we're still kind of waiting to see what that is. But other than that, and, and Purdue, but with Northwestern, Wisconsin, Iowa, and now Minnesota, you know what you have up there. Those are healthy programs, and it, I don't mind going against, uh, you know, coming up with your own blueprint. But again, back to my initial point, it just seems like a haphazardly designed, all right, transfer portal. Like that's just the easy fix-all when it will fix some. But to the coaching, I, I, I think that it just sets you up for such a small margin of error for a coaching staff that I don't believe is going to maximize the talent that's out there anyway. Those are great points. Let me work back to a couple things here on that. So I looked up the strength of schedule the other day because I was just curious. I said, well, what have they been dealing with? Because I, I keep thinking, you know, when I see UConn pop up at the non-conference schedule and then like some, you know, MAC programs, I'm thinking, well, this this is not a very good schedule. And, they, and certainly they've avoided many of the big boys in the East for several years now, mm-hmm. for the most part. And Although, by Rutgers. the way, that's coming, that's coming to an end soon. And we've gotten Rutgers every year. And as I'm going to theorize here for you and anybody who will listen to this card, the bills are going to come due in 21 and 22 in terms of the schedule. So just keep that in mind. And I know that if you want to talk short-term, long-term, when you're talking about long-term, I think that 22 schedule, I mean, you look at, I think they're at Wisconsin, at Michigan, at PSU. I mean, it just gets to be brutal. So not to you know jump too far ahead because I know we got sure. several seasons to go theoretically, but I, I think the bills come due in terms of the scheduling starting maybe 21. Things are going to get a lot tougher. So you better have a roster that is commensurate with being able to take care of that, or at least, you know, push back on it. But to the point of where they have been at, this is this is what I came up for strength of scheduling. They were 60th last year in the country. So I think there's that's about like they're the, the 10th worst in terms of the strength of schedule in the power five. And I think in the year before that, 
in 18, they were, they were 78th and it was, it was either the worst or like second to worst from power five. So even with a moderate roster, even a roster that's still kind of finding its way, if you could just be functional, I mean, there's nothing on the schedule to not believe that they couldn't, you know, take care of their non-conference schedule and then be competitive in the rest of the games. So I will take that into account along with the idea that in year three to four of your program rebuild, you should have some functionality and you should be competing week in and week out. I think they've underachieved. And especially for what you're paying uh, the head coach and then the coaching staff, they've underachieved for that across the board. And if you look at where the recruiting has gone in terms of the base class, and, and I don't know how you grade this stuff now because you throw in as many transfers as you're doing. Yeah. So you're taking a smaller class. But it's, it's gone from the 40s to the 50s, and now it's sitting in the 80s. And you can go, well, you know, going back when they had the Beeson class, well, that was a high, you know, individual average rank class. So, okay, that's fine. And there, there was some good talent there. But it ain't happening now. Um, that, that momentum seems to have, uh, have left. So well, what you're looking at, when you take that small of a class – you are going to assume, and you just got to go back and look at like his first real class. Go look at the amount of people that never contributed as a part of that class. And, and what percentage of a recruiting class never contributes because they either leave or they get injured or it just doesn't work out due to scheme or whatever it is. A certain percentage of that is never going to work. So when you're only taking 13 or 14 people a class and you're going to save seven or eight for guys in the transfer portal or even more than that, who knows? your margin of error for building for the next year and the year after that becomes even less and less. So it's going to perpetuate a cycle where you have to now go into the transfer portal even more. Because if you're, if your class, let's say you take 15 and you wash out an equal percentage to a class that would be 25 full class, right? You are now going to have to fill even more holes because now you've washed out from a smaller class. You've got more holes sitting there. You have less development going on with your guys coming out of the high school ranks. And it's just going to force you to go even more drastically into that direction. So I guess that's a long way answering the question, but structurally, I think that that's where this program is at. And it goes back to, again, I think it's just on a time frame of who cares. I'm going to be here for a few more years. I want to go out a winner and I'm going to, I'm going to take whatever shortcut I can at this point to correct my earlier wrongs, to make sure that it gives, I give myself the best opportunity to happen. You could make the case right now that he's doing a good job with this. For, for this decision, but long-term it is really going to come back to get you. And then especially tying it into 21, 22, when that schedule gets tougher, you know, and, and depending upon what you see from here on out. So I think that's what you're left with. And I would also submit this because I looked this up. Cause I found this amazing card, but if you go back, I guess in what 2017 or whatever, if you look at, if you start looking at the classes, I guess the last three classes, would okay. be where it was at, but yeah, I think they've only had nine guys from the state of Illinois in all those recruiting classes. And I understand Missouri and Corey Patterson, St. Louis here. I get it. I mean, those we're not counting those technically. So you would say, well, yeah, that's, that's maybe part of it too. But let, let, for, let's just put that aside for now, because if Corey Patterson left tomorrow, right. You think you're going to have as much success there? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, no. I don't know, you know, but nine guys in three recruiting classes, you know, not the transfers in, not the guys formal coming. Nine guys. Um, it, it's astounding. And, and it, it made me you know, laugh when I think about it. Because remember, you had a story about Brad Underwood. Like, nobody saw him in Chicago for a week and a half. Right, Carp? Remember that? <laughs> I do remember like, that. He might have yeah. been there, yeah. but, but the right people didn't see him in Chicago. You know, 
the, the, the Chicago programs. They need to be seen up there. Of course. And it's, it's in the Sun-Times. Brad Underwood, not in Chicago, nowhere <laughs> to be seen. What is he doing? <laughs> Illinois coach, not in Chicago, not kissing butt of Chicago coaches. Have you heard anything? Like when he does it, when, when you have an entire class that has no Illinois kids and there is not even a smattering of anger from the high school coaches out there about what the heck is this program doing? Or even uh, the thought pieces, the think pieces that would say, you know what, after four and five years of being a head coach in the state, the fact that they don't have the talent evaluation out there to the point where they can look at guys and find, uh, you know, I don't know, developmental linemen or great relationships with the high school coaches so that they take some guys on. The fact that it was just dead silent, like it didn't even matter. And I get it. If you look at the numbers of the top level, you know, four to five star, the numbers overall year in and year out in Illinois, just not there. Certainly compared to the states in the Southeast, Texas, they're not there. So you're going to have to go other places. That, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. I mean, it is, it is as clear as day that you've got to go out and you've got to work your connections across and, and go and be ready to, you know, find people from uh, neighboring areas. That's fine. But the fact of the matter is you can look at this and say, nobody cared. I mean, and I think that tells you more about the state of the program, you know, after, you know, a 10, 15 year period. Um, it's unthinkable to me that you could have the state school not have any kids recruited from the state and you know it just goes by like oh that's no big you know whatever you had one and you lost him at the deadline too and that was the real that was the real exclamation point on that well and i think the word that i keep coming back to with lovey and i knew this a bit going in when they hired him that he's not going to be the rah-rah guy that goes to well i don't even know if he goes to the quarter quarterback club meetings or not but He's not going to be a very vocal salesman of the program, but if you start winning games, the image and the brand, the Lovey brand, which I don't know what the Q rating on that is anymore, but you know that's going to be enough to propel you to at least respectability in the Big Ten. And what we're seeing is someone that you know I've said this before in the show, and I always try to not get too speculative. I've used the word lazy, and then I try to walk it back and say, well, I don't know that. I can't say that for a fact that he's lazy, but comparatively to other Big Ten West coaches. And listen, P.J. Fleck is like an Adderall-fueled maniac. So I can't say I want Lovey to be exactly like P.J. Fleck because nobody's like P.J. Fleck. But when you have yet to establish any relationship in the state, and you're right, it's not the best football state by any measure, but there's still good football players here, good enough for other Big Ten West schools, and good enough for Pat Fitzgerald, who's landed a few four-star kids after having his worst season as a Wildcats head coach that you were not able to get any sort of momentum rolling when you have a four-game win streak, with the fourth win being an incredible comeback that got national coverage on ESPN and FS1. You get a bye week. I figure, what beautiful timing. Finally, we're going to see the fruits of this. They can use this four-game win streak, parlay it into some actual momentum. Not a top 25 class. Not top 25. Top 50. (laughs) We keep lowering the bar, but I would have taken it. And yet here we stand and, and grad transfers aside, and yes, that's better than nothing. It is just a Band-Aid on a much larger wound that I don't think Lovey has the answer. And when I go back to that word lazy, which again is so speculative and maybe unfair of me to even say it, you talk about 
grad transfer and the transfer portal basically being the tender for college coaches. I think for him, that's probably okay for two reasons. One, he doesn't want to work as hard as a PJ Fleck, and I can't blame him necessarily for that. But two, that he sees the writing on the wall that his time is short. And you talked about this back in August, the the baton handoff. What is the legacy of Lovey Smith if let's say they go seven and five this year? Which I'm still not sure of. Okay, I gotta see I gotta see that. But let's say they go seven and five, make a bowl game, and then his last two years he goes five and seven, four and eight, it just kind of fizzles out, and the baton is handed off in twenty twenty two. I mean, what legacy are we riding for this guy at that point? It would be confusing because he'd have as many bowl appearances as, say, a Ron Zook. But he it just never caught fire. You didn't even have that moment where, apart from four weeks in 2020, that you felt like, oh, wait, this this might actually work. That's that's a long period of just apathy, it feels like. And they've got a chance at the beginning of next year. I think similar to last year notwithstanding the whole unknown with the season in of itself at this point. So we'll just, for the uh, purposes of having this conversation, Carp, we'll, we will say there will be a college football season at some point. They will play the, uh, the schedule as intended, but you know, they've got a chance. I mean, I think, again, I, I, I think you can look out there and I mean, he, he has some holes across the board, but there is talent there. And you do have a, a signal caller who's been in your system now. So, I've always thought the baton handoff to me makes the most sense. It's the one that would give this. I mean, really, this is I've been advocating for is just the idea that you have always let the program momentum just completely go away and dissipate. And then you've tried to reboot it where there's nothing left. So you've had it, you know, Ron Zook has got to come in because there was just nothing left after Turner, right? It had just the recruiting had been down the on the field results were bad and, and it, it just needed a whole reboot. Um, you know, I don't think you want to put yourself in that position again. So I think the best case scenario would be, you know, if they're still serviceable, then you're going to get a transition rec- recruiting class anyway. So that's going to be tough. You're going to have a lot of holes to fill because the guy was using a strategy of, you know, going to the transfer portal for everybody he could find, uh, you know, on both sides of the ball. And you're going to have somebody coming in with a new system who, you know, presumably is going to change that strategy. So but the best thing you could do would be, you know, go out maybe with a bowl win. You know, you've got a new facility. You've, you've got some positive things going on. You might still have some talent left there that uh, would interest somebody taking over that position. Um, that would be, you know, my best case scenario. I would kind of ask at this point, you know, to you, I mean, what, what do you ultimately think? I would ask anybody, really. This is the question I have at this point you know, into the Lovey Smith tenure with, you know, the long trajectory of trying to get this thing to be functional, still no winning seasons, you know, heading into this year, you're still optimistic about it. But again, as I've noted, I think it gets tougher in schedule the year behind that. And especially the year after that, you're going to have to go back into the portal. You're going to have to assume that you can keep hitting, you know, it's, it's almost like being at the, you know, the uh, blackjack table, right? You're just going to have to, we're going to have to keep getting the cards here. Okay. To keep it going. What is the best case scenario for this? I mean, what are you hoping for? Do you even, is there anybody out there who thinks remotely a Big Ten West title can happen? Or have you just given up on that at this point? So is it just to be competitive? I mean, is that really what what we've gotten down to now? Uh, You're spending a hell of a lot of money just to be competitive or just trying to get a functional program. I mean, what is the goal? 
Um, you know, I, I guess that would be it. If you keep believing and you tell me, well, yes, the goal is to win a Big Ten. Um, okay, but I'm not sure that the, the current strategy deployed is going to get you there. And as you've noted for the longest time, because I think you were an early, uh, you know, you were an early adopter of this theory, and I and I, they missed a huge window of opportunity going back. Beckman, Arians, Love Smith. You had Nebraska was down, discombobulated. Minnesota, I mean, you know, Kill was there, but then they had you know a mess to clean up after that. Brom hadn't taken over Purdue yet. They missed the opportunity. I mean, if Northwestern was really your best team for how many years, and and Iowa's there, and it was, I mean, they had an opportunity to at least, if not get to the top, to really elevate themselves in that period and make themselves a factor. And it just didn't happen. So now you're in a situation where Minnesota's got tremendous recruiting momentum. Look at all the Big Ten West schools recruiting rankings right now and what they're doing. And you, you are just in a, you are in a way of just trying to hang in there somehow. That's where you're at. Yeah. And it, it's, and, and you can talk more about that because I know that, that that's been your hot button for a long time, but. I think it's true. I think you're going to look back on it and say that while everybody else was down and when Illinois had a chance to do something, you know, dawdled, Bill Cubit, wasted time, and it passed. Yeah. And it just made it made life tougher. I, I, that, that always bothered me, and I think that it probably first hit me. I mean, it might have been back when we were doing the Saturday show, the tail end of the Beckman era, and... The, t- the Beckman era. It was three years. <laughs> <laughs> Cuban era. The Cuban era. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I I look back on that period when there was the Daryl Hazel situation at Purdue where right. Nebraska was floundering at the tail end of Bo Pelini, but more specifically the Riley era, lest we forget. And, you know, Northwestern, they are what they are, but you feel like if you just got your crap together, you'd be better than Northwestern. And, and we've seen time and time again, this is where... We went into the Northwestern game this year with Fitzgerald's worst team by any measure. Okay, they sucked. And I remember finding this stat. It was in my head, but I had to look it up to verify it, that any time that Illinois had made a bowl game dating back to at least the Micron PC year in 1999, you always beat Northwestern, which led to my theory that Northwestern has been the beneficiary of Illinois being terrible. They've done their own thing, credit to them. But it certainly has not hurt that the, the you know flagship school in the state has been irrelevant, and they found their niche in that period. But when Illinois is good, they beat Northwestern. Eh. Well, and again, I don't know how good Illinois was last year, but good enough to win six games, and they should have won that regardless of who they're throwing out there on that Saturday at the stadium. But yeah, I think wasted time. I think missed opportunities. I think that the lethargic feeling around this program, because I thought that before this pandemic thing even happened, and thinking about next year and buying season tickets and tailgating, that, you know, you should be excited heading into a year with all the factors at play. And I don't think I'm talking out of turn here or um, not representative of uh, the fan base as a whole because you could have been Memorial Stadium last year for some of those games. There's an apathy within this program that should not be there, one, for a Lovey Smith-led program when you consider the splash higher, but that fizzled out pretty quick, but two, that you're on the heels of a bowl appearance, and it doesn't even feel like you've made strides, and it's all exacerbated by the PJ Flex of the world, and Paul Christ, who's got his thing going at Wisconsin, and Kirk Ferentz, who could probably do this for another 10 years and keep that thing rolling, and of course, Pat Fitzgerald. You missed that window, it's gone, and the best case scenario to answer your question would be that they go 7-5 and five this year. They make a bowl game. 
And I don't know how this looks, and maybe you could help me try to dream up the scenario where Lubby and Whitman meet, and it's this sort of mutual buyout. Hey, you know, Lubby's riding off into the sunset. We appreciate his efforts. We're going to go out and find another coach. And wow, what a foundation Lovey built. We know that isn't entirely true, but at least they could sell it a little bit. I don't know how that works, though. Lovey's got money on the table. That Why would he walk away from that? That doesn't make sense. It'd be a good narrative. I mean, that's a, that's a narrative that they get you. It's going to be better than if you, if you go into 21, 22 and everything falls apart. And then you're going to have a forced divorce. But then again, we've, we've learned that divorce is good for everybody. For some, right? That's that was the portal quote. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of where you're at. But um, my whole thing is, you know, don't don't say you weren't warned. I mean, I do think there's a lot of hypocrisy with, you know, um, the idea that I mean, you know, I, and I've railed on it here on the 200 level card. I, I just thought it wasn't going fast enough. You know, you, you gotta, you know, it's like Underwood with the basketball team, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit, but. Turn over the roster, turn it over some more, keep turning it over, keep finding your pieces. There is no time to waste. You know, there is no time to get back and be complacent when you stink and everybody's better than you. You've got to try to go find everything. So, you know, now, now somebody will know, they'll say, well, he's trying to do that with the, his current strategy. And I've said, I think it was good for him to pivot. I, I've given him credit in a couple of different areas. I've given him the credit that I thought that, you know, he needed to go out and find guys who were in contact with the college game. And so a Rod Smith, you know, notwithstanding what you think of his offense last year and maybe how they performed. But I, I think there's, you know, he's improved things overall since he's been here and that needed to happen. He was able to at least bring some, uh, you know, uh, you know, bring some of that thought process he had and, you know, he needed to make a jump up himself and he's added other assistants too that were able to help in terms of, of the recruiting. So, you know, he in the Corey Patterson deal. So he's, he's done some things that make some sense, but where the hell was that sense of urgency early on? So, you know, now that's kind of left you where you are now, but you do that, but you cannot look at this. If you were one of the people early on that thought that, okay, this is going to be, you know, Lovey implementing his system, turning over the roster, doing it that way. Now you get to this part and it's basically just throwing darts in the transfer portal and pulling everybody in to fill holes. And, and I just find it, you know, that you cannot be in love with this <laughs> to the extent of, you know, and make a 180 on yourself. If you thought early on that it was going to be a certain way when he was hired because, you know, he was going to get all the money. He was going to get big of the assistant pool to spend. You know, they were really going to, you know, use his name cachet to, to recruit in state and all this. It, it just, it, 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 he's pivoted away from that. So it's okay if, if you are a fan of the current strategy and if you think that this is going to be, um, you know, pay dividends. I, I just think that you're setting yourself up for a big stock market-like crash down the road. And it, it may come with him still here as the head coach, or it may lead to his exodus, or, you know, it may be a problem that somebody else is going to have to deal with when they take this thing over. But, uh, you know, the overall question of is this sustainable strategy? Um, I don't believe it is. I believe that the portal, when you look at a lot of the way that the, the schools are going, is supplemental. You know, number one, you build your own culture, you figure out what you're looking for, and then you find a few guys who complement your culture and you bring them in to help. I, I don't believe that you look at it as a hundred percent reliant um, concept where we need this now. We need to get this out of the portal. Like, I think that's setting yourself up, you know, really tough. And so that, that would be the other way to look at it currently. So, you know, we'll see uh, again, I, I think it's a little bit mixed. And I think, you know, all I would ask is, is everybody is to pay attention, pay attention. You've got to look beyond, you know, next year into, you know, 
resulting what could happen down the road. And if the recruiting, you know, in terms of the base level continues to be a bunch of low three stars from the Southeast, uh, and you're going to complement that with the portal again, I just think at some point bills come and do. Yeah. Well, and to that point, I think the bill could come due this year. And here's my concern at the end of the day is that long-term we've talked about that. And I think those concerns are valid and you can kind of see the future. It doesn't look all that good in terms of 2021, 2022. But in terms of 2020, when, if they play the season, I know there's that minor caveat. I'm thinking, okay, I know the schedule is doable. I know that you got to yes, return. That, that minor caveat about the, <laughs> the it's a minor season. caveat. Yes, just the, the small details of, of, of you know, COVID-19. And, and what are we going to actually <laughs> do with, uh, you know, uh, the colleges and the college football season? Well, but yes. I, I, Trevor brought oh, this well. up a week and a half, two weeks ago, where – you look at last year and there's a luck factor. Now, how they factor this in, how they actually get that statistic put together, I'm not sure. But I know that turnovers certainly have something to do with it. And we know last year's team was great at taking the ball away. That is something that is not unique for Lovey Smith. His teams have done that often, to his credit. But you can't bank on it. And my concern is that you went Are six you sure you can't bank on that? I'm pretty sure. I mean, just that, I thought Peanut Tillman <laughs> gave them the secret. <laughs> Often. So he told them the secret, and now they've got the, they just So you can't bank on but, it. But here, here's the thing. I though. assigned that project to Trevor, by the way. I think he should uh, come up with some kind of metric that details the luck factor. Which there was plenty of last year. And that's not yeah, to take anything away from that team. But, you know, when you say that they probably should have won eight games, I almost think on the flip side – yeah, they got the Wisconsin game. They got the comeback against Michigan State. You could find other ways where they beat Eastern and they lose to Michigan State, or they beat Eastern and they lose to Wisconsin. But other than that, for the most part, that team was pretty much just blah. They How were much of the, the luck factor is also Paul Chris losing his freaking mind at the end of that game. Well, there was that as well. Right, almost to the degree that Mike Riley did back in 2015 in, in Cubit's fifth game as head coach. But at the end of the day, I just think that and I've seen it with Bears teams, whether it be just last year's team coming off the heels of a 12-4 and season and a defense that went from great to pretty good. Or you go back to the Lovey era with the Bears and you could go from the Super Bowl appearance to 7-9. and nine. When the turnovers stop coming, the defenses for Lovey Smith can be pedestrian or, as we've seen here, unfortunately terrible. And that's my concern. The D-line, we don't know much of anything in terms of certainties on that D-line. Linebackers, you'd like some playmakers there. Secondary, especially with Beeson coming into the fold. Again, you got some playmakers. Special teams, hey, you're, you're set. You're pretty good with that. But when it comes to turnovers, you can't bank on it anyway. And if those go away, just like we saw in the Red Box Bowl, we weren't able to take the ball away. Cal was able to just pick it apart. And then, you know, after a few eight, nine-yard gains in the passing game, they finally get that deep post for 25 yards to their tight end, which they did seemingly endlessly. I, I just don't see how it's – no one's saying this, I know, but it's certainly not going to be easy for this team to make a bowl game again. I, I really think that a 5-7 and seven year is every bit as likely as 7-5. and five. I think it's certainly within the margin of error. Yeah, I mean, the schedule, if you look at it, I mean, you know, they've got to get off to a good start. And, you know, then they're going to be in a dogfight the rest of the way, I think, with the way the schedule sets up. But, you know, out of those seven, you looking, you know, should be competitive and maybe five of those seven. I mean, you know, they they should be in play for, you know, to get, I would say, six to seven wins. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've got to at least get that, you would think, at this point. Five and seven is a scenario a lot of people are not going to want to hear, Carl. I mean, that, you know, try selling that back to the fan base. You can't. 
try selling the red box bowl and then the slide back to the old five and seven schedule the next year. Well, that's, that's not going to, you know, you know what I was looking forward to if they were actually able to sell tickets for this upcoming season, which, you know, again, <laughs> I, I don't see that likely, but the Brandon Peters dive in the red box bowl. If you recall <laughs> that, that was going to be the signature moment, even though it did come in a loss. Yeah, you could do worse than Brandon Peters. He's fine. Um, you did mention about who thinks they Joe Carp, though. You know, they were talking about 30% capacity getting down, mm-hmm. and then you could social distance. It's not a problem at Memorial Stadium. See, there you go. Yeah. My dad and I, right. what We've we been, usually they've, do. They've been practicing for that for years. Well, yeah. And what we usually do, my dad and I, anyways, is that we enter the West and then we go up, there's that <laughs> wall. <laughs> and we just stand up there. I mean, we got horseshoe yeah. tickets. And what he did was he just. Because there's the whole point system with buying tickets from the DIA, and he just bought one single solitary football ticket in the horseshoe this year. And our our thought is, when we want to go, if we can, it ain't going to be an issue. If we need a social distance, that ain't going to be an issue. Wouldn't have been anyways. But you mentioned earlier about how you know how many people actually think this team could compete in the Big Ten West. I just mentioned Brandon Peters, and last week I had an exchange um, with Bob Osmussen. We actually had a little back and forth on on Twitter, and it was good conversation. There's again, very it nice was guy, a polite exchange. I didn't very see polite. polite, very polite, and a nice guy. And I I had to reiterate Love to, Bob. I had to reiterate to him that you know, despite my objections to his art, two articles in particular, one after the Red Box Bowl, saying that hey, you know, if things go right, this Illinois team can win the Big Ten West in 2020. And I'm thinking, well, no way in hell. But okay, I guess if every single thing went right, maybe, but it ain't gonna happen. Two was an article last week about Brandon Peters could win the Heisman, and he gave reasons why. And again, the exchange was was complimentary enough. But here's my larger point, Steve, and we've we've talked about this maybe more off the mic than on it. But the way that we have a dearth of local coverage, anyways, with Illinois sports, what I view is a lack of accountability for the DIA when. You know, I feel like Illini fans should be a little more hot under the collar about the way that this football or the sh- the shape of this football program in year five for Lovey Smith, and yet we've been kind of lulled to sleep for a lot of reasons. And I, I I just find myself teetering between apathy and being genuinely pissed off that they aren't in a better position in which they're in. I think there's something to that. I mean, you know me; I've been advocating that for a couple of years now in terms of the program, I think people have a right to be mad with the on the field products. And uh, I just remember, you know, one of the, uh, the classic 200 levels we had was, I think it was year two where you went on the road to Ohio state. And I thought it was a team unready, unfit to play um, football in conference. I mean, remember that game mm-hmm. yeah. where basically I think urban Meyer, they just had to lay down in the first half. I mean, they could have scored 150 points if they wanted to that, yeah. that game, I think. That's not hyperbole. And, no, and I just thought, you know, at the time, and I know that led us on a tirade of a discussion of the program at that point, but, you know, and a lot of things we said, I think, came to pass where, you know, they had to start firing some assistants at that point. Because, I mean, the, the question at that time was, really, are they going to allow this to continue? Like, can you allow this to continue when you just have no answers? Um, and it's, it, to me, it was just about, you know, talk about professionalism, just like, I mean, I, I think they own the record for the most the largest spread ever in a Big Ten game. I think it was like 41 and a half or something like that. Was that the Ohio State game in year two? Yeah, I think so. And I just thought, I remember I just, it just set me off watching it because I thought, you know, this is disgusting. Like it's, it's, it's not how you go about it. 
And so I've always continued to maintain that from day one, you know, when you're the head coach and you're taking over, you've got to look to turn over your roster and make it as good as you can. You owe it to, to put as much effort as you can at that point to make it as good as it can possibly be. And that means hitting the recruiting trail. That means going, you know, full out there. And yes, that does include finding uh, transfers and using the newfangled transfer portal this day and age. But it was, it was under this idea that somehow that by playing people who weren't ready, pushing people out there before it was their time, sending guys out of the program who could still have value to you because you just wanted to move on with your guys was somehow benefiting you and going to get you to a quicker resolution to being a good football team. And I think it's proven that that did not do it. So that was my argument at the time was this is this way to do it at this point of, Oh, we're going to get all these extra snaps to guys who are not ready. To me, it just, it, it logically, it just, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And it isn't the way that other programs you see around the country who are top 25 programs are handling their business. You know, it, it's not. So, you know, I, I think, you know, again, it's led you to where you are today. They've made some changes. I, I think for the better, you know, I think we can have a, a real argument about, you know, can you rely on this as a, as a, a self-fulfilling strategy every single year? I would say no. But at the same time, you know, you look back, people should have been really mad then. They should still be mad. Uh, they should demand more success. Um, you know, the similarities to this are, You've got a coach who, what, it's going to be, you know, year five, middling results, recruiting, you know, hot maybe briefly and then dissipates every year, kind of, you know, well, two-thirds full stadium, two-thirds full arena. That's generous. What other Illini program does that sound like of recent memory? And and I would submit to you, like, you know, what, what, is it, what does it sound like? And then if you're just going to continue to allow that to go on indefinitely, you're just wasting your time. I mean, to me, that's a line of basketball under John Gross. That's what that is. Continue to give it another chance. Continue to say, oh, you know, another year. We'll see. I mean, there's some talent there. You know, they got Hill, they got none. There's some talent there. Give it another year. Do this. Is, it wasn't working. How many years are you going to continue to give it if it's not working? Or if it's not going to get you to the level you want to be at, I guess that's the larger question. That's why I would ask people, what are, they, what are the expectations? If your expectations are not to win the Big Ten West right now and you don't think that can happen to the current regime, what are you waiting for? Yeah, I, I think people, that should be the standard. I think competing for a Big Ten West title should be the standard. I don't think showing up on Saturdays and just occasionally upsetting an Iowa or a Wisconsin or, you know, now you're, <laughs> or Minnesota at this point, right? I don't think that should be the standard. Well, to that point. So again, I would ask the question, when, when is this competing for a Big Ten West title going to happen? They talked about that at the introductory press conference, and I understand that happens at every introductory press conference. They talk about championships. But to me, the reason that the hire, despite all the concerns about Lovey not having been a college head coach and really not even been in the college game for like 15, 20 years, or however long it had been, I thought, okay, it's not exactly the um, orthodox pick, but it is someone that has a little bit of cachet, I would have hoped. And it was a splash hire where I thought, you mentioned early on, they need to make hay essentially from the get-go. And what you look back at Lovey's first year, it was essentially a wasted year. Year one was a wash. So then we get told, well, really, year two is year one, and this begins the sort of rationalizing that we get a little bit from the DIA, a little bit from media, trying to kind of calm our nerves so we don't get too pissed off when they're down, you know, 61 to nothing or whatever it was at Ohio State. But 
I, at the end of the day, taking logical arguments out of it, I'm thinking, wait a second, we did not pay Levy Smith this amount of money, which I understand in 2020 is like middle of the pack Big Ten, but we did not in 2016 hire Levy Smith for that amount of money to come in here and do the job that a mediocre Mac coach would have done anyway. That's not why you got Levy Smith. We could have got a guy from the Mac, and I guess Beckman would be an example, for half the cost to be in the exact same position that you are right now. So when we look back on this era, you know, the peak of it, you one would still argue, which I understand the four-game win streak, that's the peak. But number two, sadly, was the Keyshawn Vaughn touchdown run against North Carolina, which leads me to think that when this is all said and done, and if, if they go five and seven this year, which I think I'm leaning towards just based on the defense not getting the takeaways they need to, we're going to look back on these five years and think, what the hell was that? What was that? You didn't build anything. You built a nice new facility, and you could argue that Lovey, I guess, got you a little bit of the fundraising for that. Okay. But I think Whitman could have done that regardless of who the coach was. So I, I just think we're going to look back they on this. that regardless. Exactly. They, they were, that was catch-up. They were, you know, with what Northwestern was doing, and obviously – you know, other facilities out there. I mean, you see the commitment that Nebraska's making again. I mean, that's that the facilities arm race is never ending, right? So that that needed to happen anyway. But yeah, I think you're if you you're, I don't think you're getting to that point. I think you're already at that point. I think you're at that point. Well, that's enough about Lovey. We got <laughs> uh, what is it? It's March. Well, we're recording this March seventeenth. Let's see if we're going to play this. We're going to put this out on Wednesday because I figure the macro things we're talking about are a little bit more or a little less time sensitive, but. Before we get into basketball, and I guess this conversation could include basketball games whenever they get started again, hopefully in November. But as we sit here and we're total speculation, how do you think the college football season is going to end up? How's it going to look? I think we can both agree that there aren't going to be fans in the stands. I think that's a pretty much a certainty at this point. But even with that, how can you get college football programs that at a minimum have you know 80 to 90 to 100 people involved on any game day? How do you practically get something like this to work this fall? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that tells you right now that they, they have a good idea of what's going to happen at this point, I think it's just lying. I don't think anybody has an idea. I mean, I think it's a little bit too early. And, you know, as the summer moves on, as we get closer, we may get some additional guidance as far as how that can proceed. But, you know, I think it, it comes back to, you know, the campuses – and certainly the, you know, if, if they're open, if the students are back and then, you know, it, I would think it would be some combination of that and implementing, you know, the, the social distancing, the public um, health guidelines that are out there and trying to follow that kind of protocol. But it just remains to be seen. I mean, you know, and I think everything I think everything's on the table. I mean, the one thing, you know, is just the importance of, you know, the TV revenue to all these athletic departments around the country. So um, being able to you know keep a season intact. And being able to make sure that, you know, you get them in in some form or fashion, um, you know, th- that will be that will be the, the goal. And, you know, does that mean a delay in the schedule? Does that mean, you know, like people theorize what spring football or spring semester football, maybe that starts in the, the wintertime? You know, I, I think that's on the table. And you have the individual campus um, idea where, you know, you've heard concepts of, you know, you got to make the individual decisions for each, uh, each of the campuses. So then the conferences come into play and he still got the NCAA in there. So who, who knows? I mean, um, I, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm going to think positively about this. I think that when you, when you start looking at getting in that, um, 
you know, at least right now too, you know, you've got certain states, you got reopening of facilities going on. You allow training to happen, you know, you allow it to start ramping back up. Um, I, I would still be optimistic that at some point you're, you're going to see it. You're going to see a season play out. It'd be nice. I mean, I'm thinking about baseball and how they're talking about July 4th. And I mean, the discussions continue to go between the union and, and major league baseball. And it seems like they will have a season NBA, same sort of thing. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, regardless of going to the games or not, just being able to watch them on TV, which I tend to do anyways, is going to be more than enough for me. And I think that the sort of catharsis as a fan of being able to finally watch live sports again, I mean, the product won't even have to be that great. It'll just be good to have Illinois football for all the cynicism that I just espoused there. It'll be nice to have Illinois football games to watch again. But the last live event that I went to, fortunately enough, was the Illinois-Iowa basketball game. And I'm, you weren't there, right, Steve? You just watched it on TV? Correct. I'm not sure if the atmosphere was able to really come through FS1 or BTN, whatever it was on that night, but it was the best atmosphere I've been in at that stadium. And I've been to the Michigan State and Maryland games earlier in the same year. It's the best atmosphere I've seen there since 0405. And I know there wasn't a tournament. I know they didn't get their name called on Selection Sunday. But having been in attendance and getting to experience that, you can't really end the season on much higher of a note short of winning the NCAA tournament. You got your heated rival, you get the game-winning shot and a game-winning block. And it was such a an awesome culmination of credit to Underwood, a remarkable in-year turnaround. Because if we would have been doing the 200 level in November, December, you can probably guess how I would have been reacting after, let's say, the bragging rights game. Oh, man. And yet, I remember that one. Yeah. And then two and a half months later, the Iowa game. And you finish a game out of winning the Big Ten title. So to me, it's not so much the three-year path, which is certainly impressive that Underwood got the talent he did in three years. It is the inside of one season turnaround, which essentially began against Purdue at home on January 5th, and then the rest sort of wrote itself. That, to me, is the bigger turnaround story. Yeah, I thought it was such an amazing job by uh, Brad Underwood. You know, his rebuild of the program was so good in year three. What really stood out to me is that he actually had people, like, complimenting John Gross again. About, like, you know, people were like, oh, you know, it just didn't work out here. I mean, you know. You're good. You're a good guy. I mean, I you know, it just it. didn't work out again. I broached it. <laughs> That's all. That was all because Underwood turned it around for everybody. Everybody's like, ah, oh, let, let bygones be bygones. <laughs> it's all good now. You know, we're happy again. That was that shows you what a good job it was. That, yeah, for uh, sure. That he did, but uh, you know, I mean, to get him to what fourth place, um, you know, that that had happened in a while. I mean, and certainly to be within striking distance of the the Big Ten title. So I, I really, you know, you, you can't say enough about it. And it is unfortunate that, you know, you don't know what the ending was to that script. Now, I, I think you could you could sort of evaluate maybe what the ending was. I, I think the ending was more than likely they just don't shoot it well, like either in the Sweet 16 game or in the round of 32 and they get knocked out. That could that easily probably, happen. I mean, that's, that's what I would have think. At some point they would have had a game where, they're not shooting it well, and they're just gone. I, I'm, I'm not going to think that they would have had enough to maybe get you know beyond that. But um, you know, we, we'll never know. And I, I think that's that is the thing when you start looking at you know certainly you know with with IO and, and to a lesser extent with with Kofi here, and they've got decisions to make and what they want to do. But you know now it's going to be late. You know what? In, in, you know undetermined time in June for, before they even have a you know chance to know when they kind of got to figure out what to do. 
I mean, there's an argument to be made to come back to be legendary. There's an argument to be made to come back and, you know, if you're going to use the tag sort of, what is it, unfinished business or finish the fight, what was it, Carp? Unfinished business. That, uh, I mean, you know, there's an argument to be made that with all this uncertainty, why not really turn yourself into a legend? I mean, you're, you're right on the the precipice of being that, I think. I mean, you're right there. You're always, you're always if you're Io, you're always going to be remembered positively as the guy who came in and got this thing headed in a different trajectory. So, you know, I think his legacy is secured from that standpoint. But, man, I mean, there is an opportunity here if, if both those gentlemen decide they want back in and want to give this another go. And, I mean, all indications are, if anything, you know, he's a second-round pick. All indications are with, with Coburn that, you know, the way things are going in the NBA, I mean, he'd have to show that he can shoot from the outside. I mean, because, right, you know, they just don't – that's not the way they play anymore, right? So, you know, sort of what he would have been 10 years ago, 15 years ago in the draft is devalued now. So even though I think he's, he's tremendous. He is, yeah. You know, and, and certainly the physicality he brings and, and the intensity and for what he's doing, I'm just giving you the way that maybe the NBA would look at things, right? And why his stock wouldn't be, you know, commensurate with his, um, with his splash as the, you know, the freshman of the year. But man, wouldn't that be something if they just decide with all this going on, we're just going to do the sure thing and we're going to come back and, and let it go. I mean, I, I, I would defy you to find a, a roster that, you know, I mean, you could make an argument that that's, that's just an equivalent roster to as good as other people got. Yeah. That would be out there, I think. And, yeah, I think it's a big time title. fun stuff. And I mean, you might be looking at a Final Four with that group. Yeah, I look at it this way. <clears throat> if just Kofi comes back, I think you're still a top 25 team and a top four Big Ten team. And I'm banking on the fact that Curbelo from the outset is going to be a really good point guard and that Adam Miller is going to provide you some shooting. And Trent Frazier, I can see it. He's going to have a bounce back senior year, at least in terms of shooting. So with Kofi, top 25 team. With Iowa and Kofi, your top 10 team, Final Four contender, Big Ten title favorite. That's not hyperbole because you look at what Io was able to do for this team last year. You mentioned this, and I think this kind of goes forgotten. They could have made the Sweet 16. They could have just as easily, and I envisioned this too, on that Saturday or Sunday in the round of 32, playing, uh, you know, eight seed. Or I, let's see, let's say they were a six seed. They play a three seed, potentially, in the round of 32. And they have one of those bad shooting nights, which they often did in the Big Ten, or really all season long. That's not going to cut it. You know, so uh, as much as fun as that team was, man, a lot of those wins were by the skin of their teeth, which might have boded well for them in March because they were winning those close games next year. If all those guys come back, that wouldn't be a team that is just merely winning close. That would be one of those teams that probably goes like 26 and seven. And they're more often than not beating teams in the double digits because you got one of the best interior guys in the nation and you have one of the best closers slash playmakers in Iowa. Uh, to me, I can see it happening and it would be the ultimate flip of this COVID-19 thing where it took the tournament away from you and yet ultimately may repay you back with the best Illini team since 0405. Yeah. And I, you know, the one thing to me, and I was thinking about this with Io. I mean, he had his big injury scare moment. You know, I wonder how much that factors in. Because I think he wants he to go went down. It looked bad and it looked like ligaments, you know, it looked like, you know, he had torn something and luckily, you know, it was only a couple of games he was able to come back. But, you know, I wonder how much that plays a factor in thinking that, you know, boy, I was out there and I almost did, 
you know, snap my leg. I almost did, you know, devalue myself in terms of, uh, you know, then, you know, having a come back from an injury. Um, I just wonder how much that moment in time is going to help to drive the decision because, you know, I bet you he is very much torn from the standpoint of, you know, I, I can't, I, I can't know, you know, what he would be thinking, but I imagine it, it's got to be hard to leave knowing you have success and knowing that you didn't get an opportunity to do your name called on selection Sunday and never get to experience that. I mean, I think anybody would be honest, you know, on that team to say that, you know, to not get a chance to, to go into the tournament to see what could happen has got to be tough. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you know, he had a season where, you know, he almost, uh, you know, severely injured himself. And, and I, I think that looking at it, if, you know, knowing how close he might've been to, to that, you know, does that, you know, color his decision in terms of, okay, you know, I, I had almost something horrific happen to me and I just cannot take that chance. I cannot come back even, you know, even if I want to, even if I, I felt like, you know, with all the uncertainty going forward, I don't know if I'll be drafted. You know, I don't know what the NBA is going to look like at that point um, in terms of their season structure, what the draft process is going to be, et cetera, or when they're going to hold that. I, I just think it, it all factors in the unknown, but maybe he's just dug in because he thinks, look, I, you know, I did what I had to do there. And now for my development, I, it's got to be next level. And I, I just got to go. And I, I, you know, everything I've read to me and everything I've looked at, I mean, I think it, it sounds to me that that is, you know, that that's the decision. And uh, I understand it. I understand it. Plus you got to bet on yourself, you know, and he, I, 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 I don't know what you think, Carb, but you know, he, he is still, to me, I, I think the, the nicest thing you can say to him is that he came in. I always looked at his high school tape and I always thought, well, man, that shot's kind of funky. You know, it's like a set shot and, you know, I always wondered about, well, I mean, he, he's obviously great in the open court. He's got that tremendous length to get to the rim. I always wondered, but, you know, can he really improve that shot? And can he turn himself into a, a more well-rounded player? And that guy just continues to work on his game. I mean, he just continues to get better. I got no doubt that, you know, going forward, he's just going to even, you know, continue to find new things where he can improve his game. So uh, I think whoever gets him down the road, I mean, obviously – I think he's got to continue to improve that aspect, but, you know, just his ability to get out, his vision, his length. I mean, why wouldn't you take a flyer on him in the second round if you're some team? Yeah. Good kid. Good kid. Seems to get it all. Didn't have a problem with having all, being the focus, having all the pressure on him. You know, to come in here, you know, look at all the other kids that spurned this program for years that, that wanted no part of coming in here trying to turn this thing around. And, and then even the ones who came in here who just, you know, to be as polite as you can to like a Malcolm Hill, you know, for whatever reason, extenuating circumstances could not get them to the next level. But he came in here and did it. He took it on. You know, he, he could have said, eh, I'm going to go top top 15 program. I'm not dealing with this. And it would have been like a EJ Liddell, you know, it would yeah. have been like so many others. Oh, God. Well, punning, be- punning on that and just saying, not for me. But he, he did it. So guys got a strong mental makeup and. You know, I, I think that bodes well for his future for sure. You know, EJ Liddell, I'm thinking you have him on last year's team. You win the Big Ten. And really that would have maybe just been the simple difference of winning that game at Ohio State, which would have gotten you at least a share of it. But well, EJ Liddell, that's going to be someone that just, you know, the next three years, despite the attrition. Well, it's a pick, I'm not picking on him in particular. No, I'm just no, no, saying no. nobody seemed to want, like, you know, you go back and look. I mean, I was amazed, but like Myers Leonard is last draft pick. Yeah, that's right. 2012. Myers freaking Leonard. Is the last pick for this for this school? I mean, it, and you know, this is from a school that, like, you know, twenty five out of thirty three years, 
was a tournament team. Yeah, I think I mean, that's for, right know, between part of three and a half decades. You know, you got to yeah. roll in, and um, you know, even too. I mean, there's there's more of a drought than that. I think before that, you got to go back to like D and um, you know James when they came out. So I mean, it, it's been quite a considerable talent drought. You know, when you look at it, and if you want to connect the dots and say, well, what has happened here? I, I don't think there's a lot of analysis required. I just the, you weren't getting the talent, and you did not have the coaches that could go out and get the talent anymore. And then you put yourself in a vicious downward spiral. Well, this is where hopefully, hopefully that's broken. Underwood is doing a fantastic job of, and again, apples and oranges, not saying, hey, Lovey, do what Brad Underwood does. Because, listen, it's easier to do that for Illinois basketball, I would presume, than Illinois football. We, we always knew that Illinois basketball, it would just take a few guys here and a coach that actually land those guys to get it back to where we were used to it being, which is making tournaments and finishing in the top four or five of the Big Ten year in, year out. Seems like Underwood, he'll be able to do that. And I think he's also been granted a nice little window of opportunity here in the Big Ten where you do have the likes of an Izzo, as long as he stays at Michigan State. I guess Greg Gard and Wisconsin are going to stick around. I don't get it. But apparently they aren't going anywhere. It still bother you. It bothers the hell out of me. I can't stand it. And it's then like, it's like Mission Impossible. Gar just took off the Bo Ryan <laughs> face, pulled it back. Uh, it's just it's maddening. And then and whoever Gar will pull over his face, and there'll be somebody else. There's so, some unknown assistant right now. It's going to take that thing over next. But think about this, right? You have Michigan State as a given. You have Wisconsin as I guess they are a given. Ohio State's an interesting case study because for every good thing that Chris Holtman's done, he had a better first year in a lot of ways than he did a second year. And you've seen attrition that you don't normally see from an Ohio State program that should be stable, right? You have Purdue, which is whatever. Uh, I'm looking around at Michigan with Jawan Howard as a total wild card. We have no idea if that thing is going to work. So Iowa, Fran McCaffrey is going to have a really good team every three years. And next year, if everyone comes back, those that would be one of them. I guess they'd be two in a row, but they never play defense. So essentially, I'm looking at a Big Ten where out of these 14 teams, regardless of Rutgers being better and Penn State being better than what they were, that you know the top half of that conference is really theirs for there for Illinois' taking for the foreseeable future. When you get the likes of Adam Miller and Andre Corbello, seemingly every class you're getting two impact guys, and he is supplementing that with transfers, and that's the big difference. The transfers are not asked to come in and be the guy. They are asked to come in and be supplemental to the four-year guys that, or in the case of Iowa, two-year guys that are really good high school recruits that are ultimately going to be the difference makers. That is the apples and oranges thing with, I think, Lovey and Brad Underwood and why I look south of Kirby and I think, well, they got it going on. They know what they have. And that coaching staff to me seems like they uh, each have a role and they play it. uh, They excel at it each and every one of those guys in terms of the assistance. I think you're in a good spot regardless. So that that's the thing you like the most. I mean, if you don't have, let's, let's say that, you know, Io just is, is not there and I'll, I'll leave a 20% chance that he can come back. That's I'll fair. say it's 80, 20. Okay. I'm a, it's maybe a little higher than some people, but I, I mean, I'll leave a little bit because who knows we're, we're in the total unknown right now. Right. But, I mean, you know, you got Trent Frazier, and he alluded to the fact – I think he's just deferred so much that, you know, he, he needs to step it back up, and he needs to kind of return back to what made him so special to begin with. And it wasn't that his, his play dropped off maybe the uber significantly, but just I think he's got to find that edge again. You know, in the first year, he was kind of thrust into it, you know, against his will. 
and he took it on. But, you know, with him, with Coburn, Georgie, uh, DeMonte, and then, you you know, Miller, Corbello sitting there, you know, you think one of those two are going to maybe fill out the five. I, I just love what the, he's got on this bench too. Like, I just don't know what's there. And, you know, I know it's, it's sort of developmental, but, um, you know, but you alluded to the transfers. Um, you know, these are all guys who are like six, eight, six, six, you know, these are all guys who shoot supposedly shoot it. Well, now we've heard this before Alex Legion, you know, we've, <laughs> we've heard it before, <laughs> but you got two Alex Legion. Shoot it well, okay. So until, they get, until they're defended, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking like all story, but you know, oh, we, oh. I, I just like it. The one thing though, that, that stands out, can you, if you get this team shooting better, because they missed so many open shots last year. I mean, that was the thing I kept watching all the games. I'm thinking, this team just missed so many open shots. I mean, they, they're right there. They just couldn't make them. And, um, I, I, you know, I'd be excited to see this Underwood set up with a decent amount of athleticism on the wings. Uh, a shot blocker, physical intimidator on the inside, which from day one we knew they needed somebody to, to change that dynamic, and they found it. And they're aggressively recruiting the replacement to that. Mm-hmm in terms of trying to follow up on it. There's no secret there. And they'll be able to make an easy sell to say, look what this guy did. So I think they'll be able to get somebody to come in and do that. But now you got all these guys who are highly skilled, who are transferring in, who can shoot it, who are, you know, tall, lengthy wings. And I want to see it. I mean, now you're, you're going to lose a little bit. I mean, I liked what Feliz brought and Griffin. And I think it's not going to be so easy to replace that sort of nasty side. No. Um, you know, for, for many years, we were complaining about where's the passion? Where's that intensity? I mean, I like guys turn around and, and elbowing somebody occasionally and getting PO'd and, you know, taking it in there and, and, you know, drawing contact. I mean, they finally had a couple guys who were mixing it up and that was nice to see again. And I think, you know, to me, someone is going to have to do that. I'm obviously still got Georgie who's, who's not afraid to do that. DeMonte. But it, yeah, DeMonte to a lesser extent, I, I think, but you know, you, you got to retain that. And, um, I'm very excited for getting a chance to see this with a team that's a little bit more fluid in terms of maybe moving it around and being able to to make shots out of this offense. Um, I do think a little bit of last year was sort of, you know, this idea that out there that Underwood, you know, radically reinvented everything. No, he just got better players. (laughs) And he tailored it a little bit to their, their, their skill sets. What a, what a novel idea. And he's running some things out of his sets, which which put them in a better position for them. I mean, you know, he's – and this is from the same group that says this guy can't – you know, he, first couple of years, you know, he wins 14 and 12. Is, oh, he can't coach at all. His substitution patterns suck. And he's horrible. He can't – well, you know what? It's amazing what better talent does for a coach, right? All of a sudden, boom, 21. In year three, turned around immediately. And, you know, now you've got basically got two top 100 kids coming in and a guy who's like the 150th player nationally. In Hawkins. I feel and bad for Hawkins. Just, we never talk about him. He's probably going to be a pretty good player. He could be a very good player for them in terms of what he's looking to do. But I, I think it's about, you know, he's looking for a certain style. I love from day one, you know, when we had, when we had the 200 level and we were, we were talking at the beginning of it, it was that it was obvious. Remember how we got into this discussion about how Taylor Horton Tucker did not have an offer. Yeah. And I, I still to this day to me, I just want, I mean, you know, right. He was NBA draft pick, right. Did mm-hmm. not have an offer from the previous staff. And the minute the staff came in, they started carpet bombing offers. They started changing the philosophy. They started going around the country. They were looking out to, in terms of international. And it was obvious what they were doing. It was obvious that they were casting a wide net 
and trying to upgrade the talent level and that they weren't going to be beholden to this idea of we're going to have six guys on our board. And when we miss on all six of them, we're screwed and we don't know what to do now. <laughs> and what a novel concept, you know, and now they go out, you, you recruit the best player in Chicago. You get the best player in Chicago. You don't take the Chicago leftovers that somebody wants you to take. And instead you supplement the best player in Chicago with other good players around the country and transfers yeah. who you like. And you, and you try to keep your team chemistry. So I love what they're doing. Look, look at this Luke good offer. Oh man. Okay. Cause An Indiana you want to talk about, you want to talk about the staff being meta and getting it on a macro level. 96, you know, level recruit. Okay. He had, he had what Maryland was going after him. Mm-hmm. Butler was going after him. Iowa was going after him. Dude, you fought off the sharps. I mean, seriously, this is the kind of kid like this program a few years ago would have been nowhere. The kid wouldn't have considered Illinois, and they would have not been on this kid, right? Mm-hmm. What a get. If that is the, like, if that is the beginning of your, of your class for next year, whew. I mean, the do you not like what the staff is doing? No, I love it. And do you not like what they're doing? To me, I'm thinking about what they did last year. You're right in that, you know, Underwood probably didn't have to drastically change identity, the culture that he was trying to establish, all that was set. And really the biggest transition would have been what they did defensively in terms of not being not playing the passing lanes quite as much and just sort of packing it in a little bit more because you had a Kofi and you were able to do something like that. So I'm thinking I I understand the next year's team and really the year after that, as you are transitioning to the Curbelo era, which I'm as excited about Curbelo and the impact that he can have in four years, presumably four years at the school. But I'm thinking, I understand that next year's team, or this year coming up, is going to be different than last year. Last year's team was downhill. What they did so well is, whether it be Io or whether it be Feliz, or whether it be Kofi down low, they got to the rim. Griffin could do it to an extent as well. But while you are losing talent, I mean, on the whole, you are losing some major talent from this year's team, including some leaders in uh, Feliz and presumably Io that the fluid fluidity of that offense last year, that offense could stink on occasion, and they could stink for extended stretches. I don't envision that as much next year or the year after that. And, and back to the point of the six foot seven wings, Hutcherson and Grandison, even if one of those guys, one of them, pans out, can shoot 35% from three, which both of them, I think, shot over that in their previous stops in college, and provide you with some athleticism on the wing. Kofi, I'm presuming, is coming back. That might be irresponsible of me. I think he is. And then you have the guard play, which I think is going to be a strength. And a DeMonte Williams, here's my prediction, Steve. I don't know if you remember Chester Frazier's senior year. A guy that wasn't that great of a shooter, and you saw flashes of it his junior year. His senior year, Chester Frazier didn't shoot much, but he was efficient and was sort of the on-court leader for that team. I envisioned DeMonte in much the same way. Six points per game next year. He was shooting about 40% from three the last 10 games of the season. I could see him shooting about 30% or so, but not shooting it much, giving you a little bit of something. I think that he's going to have a strong senior year, and Trent Frazier is going to have somewhat of a breakout senior year because he won't have to be the primary ball handler as much as he was last year, not with Corbello running the show. I just think they're going to need it from him. So, I, you know, I think the challenge maybe from Underwood to him would be that we need it from you this year. I think he's going to need to take a little bit because, I mean, I, I would that put a lot on Miller. 
Curbelo, I mean, I think you could ask him to come in and, and do some great things. But I mean, in terms of scoring, I mean, you you got to find the outside scoring. And so to me, I'm looking at I'm looking at Frazier. You know, maybe Demonte could get you a few more points, uh, just being you know resourceful. And then yeah, some one of these guys, whether it's uh, Granison, you know, or whoever else on the bench, somebody's going to have to come in there and, and make some shots for you and give you some scoring. But you know, again, I think there's plenty of good candidates out there plenty of good candidates. So it's not like they, they don't have, you know, there's an opportunity for a guy or two to step up here and make it happen for you. Plus, uh, you know, it's, it's the, uh, DeMonte could be like, you know, it could be like Chester Frazier part, you know, like 2.0 or 3.0 where it's like, like, Oh, Chester Frazier. I just, I don't know. <laughs> Every time I see him in there, you know, I don't, he's not giving you anything offensively. And then, but, you know, but as interviewers, Oh, he's, the guy's a pit bull. I don't know where we'd be without this guy. He can't, you know, so it's like a lot of people are going to send in DeMonte thank you cards and, and love letters, uh, you know, as opposed to last year. Like, Why isn't Alan Griffin in there? Jeez, I can't believe it. They're, that's a puzzling, that's a puzzling. It's the, modern day, it's the he, he is the back and forth relationship, uh, love affair player. Of totally. This, uh, of this set, we know? had those live podcasts during the games where he could make it. He could make a layup <laughs> essentially. Well, that was, that was Georgie too, but DeMonte, <laughs> did not score i believe for the first month full month of big 10 play the month of january i don't think he scored month of february and then the few games in march he was shooting 40 percent from three and making one or two per game which isn't a lot but for that team especially they needed all the help they could get from three the griffin thing's puzzling because in all likelihood his dad's going to be the bulls coach when next year when the nba starts up again so he leaves to go to Syracuse, closer to mom, I guess. Meanwhile, dad comes down to Chicago to be presumably the next Bulls head coach. And Syracuse, fine. You know, defensively, you weren't asked to do as much. He'll get plenty of uh, offensive opportun- opportunities out there. But I, I that's puzzling to me still. I, I, I hate that Alan Griffin's not going to be with this team next year because if you focus, if you circled anyone said breakout season, he already had breakout games last year, but he would have been a starter, and I would have penciled him in for 12, 13 points a game easily. He was as raw talent as I can remember seeing um, in a long time, and the steps that he took in his sophomore year alone, I thought, well, he will be a consistent contributor his junior year, and if not by the end of his career in all Big Ten, second, third team, or something like that. I, I wish that I could have seen that four-year journey play out, but instead it's just a little blip on the radar. Yeah, this happens to Underwood too. I'm not sure what it is, but like Underwood, like has breakout years for certain people, right? Like they do nothing, and then all of a sudden, boom, he turns them into like they have their best year, and everybody wants to jump. LaRon Black. Oh God! Wow. Like go oh, LaRon, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna revitalize your career. I'm gonna turn you into all Big Ten level players. South, I'm going to South America. <laughs> I'm not sticking around. <laughs> I gotta get out of here as soon as I can. And now it's like with Griffin. It's too. It's like. I'm going to turn you into like you six man deluxe and you know, you're going to be getting all kinds of pub and you're, you're doing so well that, you know, people are going to be demanding your entry into the starting lineup more consistently. Uh, I think I'm going to pour all thing. I'm going to go to Syracuse. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. You know, maybe either. that's why I keep, I'll keep a 20% chance that IO comes back just at a, eventually I think he, he deserves one in his, the break in his fashion. Yeah. Like that's what I think the Kobe one to come back to help him out. Uh, for the ones that decide, like, you know, I don't know what it is, too. Maybe it's always like you get a taste and then you just think, I'm, you know, I know there's other factors, so I'm not trying to uh, simplify it down to just, you know, one simple thing. So yeah. it's a little tongue-in-cheek. 
Um, please follow my sarcasm. But um, Duly noted. I, do think, I do think there is something to this idea of, you know, we've seen a couple guys, you know, on the scrap heap all of a sudden that, uh, you know, put it together. And then it's like, yeah, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to go I'll give it a shot somewhere else uh, on my own. I'm going to I'm going to spread my wings out here now and <laughs> get away from Champaign, Illinois. And, <laughs> See what I can do. Hey, but Laron Black and Michael Finke, two guys that left Underwood's program, they are both going to be, again, if there are games that are played. Have you heard about this Alani you know, throwback I've, team? I've seen it, and I'm I'm damn excited about it. I, You know, I thought to me, I, I was excited about it, and then I saw that Finke announcement, and I looked like, did you see his announcement? I, I did, yeah. Yeah, it kind of looked like he was being doing it against his will. So I was kind of almost like, you know, please, you like know, Michael, blink video. twice if you're okay. Let me know. Give me some kind of indication uh, that it was your idea to play in this TBT uh, first, and then I, I can uh, do it. But no, it's a it, it's it, it'll be nice. It'll be fun. I mean, whenever you see that, it was. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have any other thoughts. But that it's rounds kind of out the team, right? He's is he the final guy? Is it? I, th- they... I think so. I think, I'm not sure how many spots. It was puzzling though because they get you got Hill and you got Egwu, right? And you got Felice. Hill, uh, Hill Agru, Feliz, Black, and then you got Ravante Rice. Ravante Rice. So you've got it is it is literally Frankenstein Loaded. monster from like the last decade of several different staffs, right? I mean, just put it together. This is always in your head. You've always said, "I wonder what these guys would look like when they play together." Yeah. Finally, we get to see the John Gross Frankenstein monster with Andres Feliz, because essentially, I think Feliz with is the only Underwood guy, and I don't think Egwu there's any was your Rodman. He doesn't need to shoot. (laughs) He's just going to give you high energy minutes and play defense. Yeah. Great defender. So you think like, you know, you think when they have the TBT, they'll have like a post game calling show and people will still be complaining about Nan Agwu. And, uh, you know, if not, just for old time's sake, can we, if not, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can get a podcast going and take a few phone calls and and the people will still be complaining. I had not even considered that Steve. We did all those live, uh, mostly second half of, games in the Big Ten season, we would come down here to the basement, do a live play-by-play thing. We started it with the game at Purdue, which we were like, well, damn, this worked out well. And then we did it for the game at Michigan. It was a lot of fun, but I guess for... If Egwu is not going to look at the basket and give you an ability to you know, at least make the team respect the fact that they have to defend him and be at least an offensive threat, theoretically, then his value... <laughs> Wait, are you an Egru supporter? Did I nail it? Did I pretty much get it? Because yeah, you did. like, yeah. And then and then, you know, for and then the curse of him was for many years afterward, no defense. Yeah. Right. You couldn't defend anything. That was your so the, so I think, you know, that curse was brought on by that. Egru was a victim of the fact that it looked like he had a decent shot. And his sophomore year offensively, I thought, oh my God, like that Miami game in particular, he did all his defensive stuff. I think he might have scored about yeah. ten points in that game. He had the nice little baseline jumper that he could make with some regularity, and he didn't add anything offensively. So it was, I loved what he did defensively. I just was frustrated at the lack of offensive development. I would venture to say that had he played under Underwood and more specifically Antigua, we may have gotten that. No offense to Dustin Ford. What if he's in the gym? Like, what if he's been in the gym? And he's like, you know, like, I remember what y'all said about me on all these post-game shows for many years. And he's just going like, to go out there and start dropping 40 on people. Like, he's got all these moves now that we have no idea. So you're and saying... He's, finally, he's going to get to show it off. And now when you look at this team, like, and we, lo and behold, we don't know it. 
but he's going to be offensive option number one, just to prove a point. So he's Jordan-esque. He takes the perceived or real slight, and he uses <laughs> right. it as fuel to become a better player. Exactly. And now he's, he's out to prove a point, and he's going to lead this, this uh, what is it, House of Pain team to, House of to Pain. the title just to prove everybody, like, look, I've been in my laboratory, and I've been working on all these things. Let me show you what I got now. <laughs> I'm so starved for live sports. I might actually do live podcasts for the House of Pain season whenever that starts, which I, I think they want to do it this summer. And again, we'll see. But uh, before we let you go, Steve, so we covered everything with football and basketball. What what are you doing? How, how do your days look? What are you watching? What are you listening to? How weird is this? Well, I mean, I'm like like you know you and the rest of America. Uh, I think consistently, you know, I'm doing a little streaming, so I'm bouncing around. You know, and obviously, you think about the two that have been in the quarantine time here. You know, you've had, we've had the Tiger King, haven't we? Naturally. And we had to consume that. And then now with the last dance, it's coming to an end. Uh, by the time people hear this, I think they will have seen the last yeah, that's correct. two of these. And uh, I did have an idea, Carp, though, for, you know, if we need another last dance, if we can squeeze one out, I had an idea. Hmm. And it would be that episode 11. Okay, we would just fast forward to his time coming to Champaign <laughs> to watch Jeffrey Jordan play. Of course. Okay, and then in the in the in the fashion of the show, we would use it as a timeline. Okay, we would use it as a vessel to get us back into early, you know, Bruce Weber Ed DeCellis matchups with Penn State, and kind of a breakdown of what happened with those games. So we just kind of bring it back to sort of you know we revisit that whole period, Jeffrey and Illini basketball, and then some of the more interesting matchups there. I, like I think you could easily get eleven and twelve episodes. Out of that too. Now it'd be a little less Jordan intensive, certainly. But if we're going to keep it going, maybe maybe that would be an idea we could we could work. On. Were you ever at the stadium when he came to watch Jeffrey? I was, and I, I remember the specifically a Michigan State game on, I think it was like a Sunday afternoon CBS game or something. And Jeff Jordan didn't have a lot of made shots in his Illinois career, but he did have a, <laughs> I think it was a steal and a made layup. Against yeah. Michigan State and temporary, like briefly, Illinois went up in that game. They ended up losing it. Go figure. But uh, that was, you say that, and I, I should have been able to add a little bit to the uh, the uh, ludicrous notion of a, a Weber to Chellis episode <laughs> of The Last Dance, which is beautiful. But I, I immediately went to a dark place, Steve, where I'm thinking, oh my God, Jeff Jordan was your backup point guard. He was Dimitri's backup. I would just like to see Weber interviewed. He would have been like, oh, it was great when it was great when Michael came down and could be around the team. And just the energy, you know, I mean, you sit there, you got the greatest <laughs> player of all time. And I mean, you know. Oh, my. did you I mean, listen? You could, you could you could definitely have that. Did you listen to Weber but, on uh, Jeremy's show? This would have been about two months ago. They were covering a uh, final four thing. Yeah, I saw that. There was some nostalgia. And, um, you know, the one thing I will say, and, and you know me, I'm, I'm kind of a lifer in terms of this point, but um, I will defend him in his 37-2 and two season. Yeah, absolutely. To anybody, because I think there's a lot of people that seem to want to write off that and that accomplishment in terms of his coaching ability. But people seem to forget it. You know, it just didn't start like he didn't roll in and all of a sudden everybody, you know, loved him. And, you know, it, it was good times there. You know, they had that loss, I think, at Northwestern in that first season. And I think that was kind of the jumping point, I remember, because there was a lot of, uh, you know, it was a lot of difficulty um, 
but you know, that, that job, I mean, it was, it was, that's his system, you know, that, that took the, the, the changeover in the previous year. And I think he gets a lot of credit mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how you, you know, you got to grade him. I mean, when you're, you're sitting at this university and you got a couple final four appearances, uh, he's got one of them, you know, and he's got the, maybe the greatest, uh, you know, season. I, mean, I think you can, you know, in a, a handful that this program's ever had. And, um, you know, I think, everybody, you know, if you look at it, I mean, nicest guy to cover, certainly. I mean, and I think he, you know, a lot of people kind of by the end of it got rubbed wrong, maybe by his honesty. Sometimes they felt he was, you know, putting some players under the bus. But um, I just, you know, I don't know how you not look at that and think, well, I mean, he's a, he's a big part of the line of basketball history. And, he is, yeah. First you know, he, years he had or... a tremendous accomplishment here. And not only that, a couple of Big Ten titles. And so, you know, I would I would challenge somebody, you know, if they're very negative on that, to go back and look at the um, the sequence of events after that, you know, with the next regime, and ask me, would you want Bruce Weber back, and would you want to see, you know, what he was able to do? And um, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to go for him the remainder of Kansas State, but you know, he, he might have mixed results there, and you know, he might be a a coach that there's a history of mixed results at, at a couple stops. You know, he may be thought of as a guy who Kansas State feels okay about when it's done there and you know, he did some good things, but yeah. And he, and Illinois certainly can feel he did some great things here, but at the end of it, eh. and I think that's okay. I mean, every, you know, we're always looking for, uh, you know, some sort of uh, conclusion that, that, you know, neatly wraps up everything. Right. We're all, especially in today's age where you either got to be one position or you got to be the other. There's no way you can look at something and go, there's sort of a mixed legacy here. And um, I think it's okay to look at the mixed legacy of Weber and say, you know, that uh, he took some guys who, when he inherited, and he did tremendous things with them, but he might have elevated them for their particular games in his system and that he couldn't, you know, ultimately, when you look at what happened, he couldn't sustain it. You know, and he made some bad decisions in terms of recruits to bring in, and, um, you know, he couldn't win enough He couldn't win enough recruiting battles to, to sustain himself. You're, you're a little softer on him than I, I am. Here's how I, I view it in two compartments the first one is the first three years the d and james sophomore junior senior years where i feel like he was the best coach for that collection of talent and certainly the 37 and two year he maximized what they would have done bill self would not have gone 37 and two but if bill self had stayed which i know that's a total hypothetical you would have eventually won a national title so you wouldn't have had that one amazing year but clearly the long-term results would have been better it's the inability to maintain a top 20 level certainly we were all feeling our oats and myself included thinking we've arrived we made the final four we're going to be a perennial top 10 team but even if the dust had settled and he would have established a top 20 wisconsin like program it would have been different and and i I know that bo ryan is you know he's going to be a hall of famer i mean that might be an unfair comparison but let's not forget that where Illinois was when Bo, Bo Ryan started at Wisconsin. It was in a better position. I think that Weber, if he is as good of a coach as some would say he is, that he would have been able to maintain that level. So I don't. It's it's so weird. It's like a musician that joins a band. They have a few great albums, and then he goes off solo, uh, or he loses some of the key guys in the band, and he just can't replicate that success. To me, Weber was the perfect guy for that group of talent, but it just didn't translate. Kansas State great spot for him he was almost the victim in some ways of really massive early success but i think he would have been brad underwood's got it rolling again car people are they're free to love him again that's right 
Exactly. It's okay. It's all good because you got Underwood now. And John Gross. I mean, people. He people. You can, thought you of, can love Gross again. Yeah. It's it's all. It good. just didn't work out here. He's a great guy. <laughs> Forget all the recruitments you didn't win. It's, it's a great guy. Well, you know that the inevitable six Illinois versus eleven Akron game would have happened if Akron would have won the MAC tournament. That they, I know that they would have found a way to get that in there. Uh, Steve, we'll let you go. We we went a little bit longer, but that's per par for the course, I guess for the 200 level, but we'll do this again. Maybe we can do a Chandi Brown episode after he commits, or maybe we can do a more intensive house of pain throwback tournament, TBT podcast in the summer. We'll figure something out. Yeah, we definitely got to do that one, but, uh, I think we lost Steve there. That's okay, though. Uh, he was signing off anyways, but it's always great to talk with Steve and get his thoughts on everything. And we always seem to go a little bit more intensive on Illinois football. Why that is, I'm not sure. Uh, Steve, I know, is more of a football fan than basketball fan. I think. I think that's fair to say. I'm the opposite, but yet we seem to always go down that rabbit hole, and certainly Bobby Smith gives us plenty of fodder when it comes to Illinois football. All right, so great to talk with our co-host Emeritus, Steve Brightweiser. We'll get him on again, a less abrupt ending next time. Got to remind you that we are brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200level. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. We will be back later this week, so we're going for a trifecta. We have the show Monday. We have this one today with Steve, and we'll get something going on Friday as well. And this is because last week we only did one as I was setting up the new studio, but we are set up, we're ready to go, and it's a much more conducive environment to do these podcasts. So excited to continue bringing these to you during the pandemic and beyond. But uh, in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy the weather when you can, otherwise stay indoors, and we will see you on Friday. It is the 200 level.